What brings a community together? Shared insights? Shared conversations? Welcome to Open Door by Cox Communities, tackling the big questions on the minds of smart community business leaders. Welcome back to Open Door by Cox Communities, where we're providing information for you to consider when making decisions for your multifamily communities. Discover the latest trends and technologies that are making some multifamily business owners stand out. I'm your host, Bess Friedman, CEO of Brown Harris Stevens. Today, we're discussing the operating and legal issues associated with smart building technology in multifamily housing. And I'm very pleased to be joined for this discussion by founding member of Davis Craig, a telecommunications and technology law firm and leader in the field of telecommunications and transactions, Ian Davis, and the VP of New Business Development at Cox Communications, Guillermo Rivas. Welcome, Ian and Guillermo. I would like to begin our discussion here today by talking about why it is so important to have someone versed in smart building and telecommunications involved in contract negotiations from the very beginning. Ian, from an owner's perspective, why is this a must? There's a couple of things at play here, and it used to be that we focused on telecommunications, and increasingly, we are adding smart building to the mix. And the reason why it's important from my perspective is the smart building increasingly relies upon connectivity. In order to have the smart building work properly, I have to have a solid connectivity agreement because in the absence of that connectivity, now my smart building doesn't work. So, you know, imagine a scenario where not only my smart building doesn't work, but now my telecommunications doesn't work and you're in for a horror store. Really, from my perspective, and we got a crew of people around here that do this on a daily basis. And to me, they intertwine intimately. And if you have someone that understands technology contracts, but not telecommunications, you have a potential issue. If you have a person that understands vice versa, you have a potential issue. So you have to have some basis of understanding of telecommunications and technology and how they interplay in order to ensure that you have not only quality telecommunications, but quality smart building. Got it. And Guillermo, approaching this from a provider perspective, why is this something that you think is critical? From our perspective, what we found is that when an owner focuses only on representation from a real estate standpoint, there's a lot more nuances when we're talking about smart technology and telecom laws, everything from FCC laws all the way down to local state and city ordinances that may apply. The other reason, quite frankly, is an owner may have a vision, and sometimes that doesn't get translated very well, and what they want and what their vision is may get missed in an agreement by both the provider and the owner's team. So having someone engaged that really knows what the owner's vision is for that property will help that owner ensure that any provider that's going to be providing services meets their expectations. So Ian, when you evaluate a contract, what are the top considerations you look out for? Boy, there's a lot of them. I will tell you that for purposes of today's discussion relative to telecommunications and smart building, on smart building contracts, I really look at five key things. You got insurance, you got indemnity, you have data ownership and control, 
data security and privacy. And if people would just look at those five things, it would be tremendous. If they would go one step further and either engage a trusted internal or external advisor and their risk management people from day one, it would be shocking how much better these deals would flow. Because what happens is they're often at the 11th hour before they're brought to us. And when you look at the insurance and indemnity and these sorts of things that are you know, often missing, then things come flying off the rails. The tie-in with telecommunications is very interesting because there are a litany of things that I've counseled clients both privately and you know at conferences in the past. But to me, one thing that jumps out at me is whoever your internet provider is that is going to support your smart building technology, service level terms, customer service terms, how much time is the network up? What is the repair time? What is the trouble ticket fix time? Those things become imminently more important because it's not just residents' ability to connect to the internet now, but my, also my ability to operate anything from access systems to thermostats to you know any number of things that I connect to this smart building system. So folks like Guillermo and others who have crossed swords with me over the years about service level terms are probably going to grow even more tired of hearing about how important it is to have these service level terms because it impacts your ability to now operate your property as well as have one of your most important amenities in the form of internet services. Well, Guillermo, looking at these complex negotiations and plans, why is it so important to approach it as a team lift? The first thing that I will say besides agreeing with Ian is that part where he said stuff can go wildly off the rails when certain items get discussed at the tail end is very true. And I'll I'll share a, a story from our side. And this is really more of a warning for those that may be listening that are on the provider side and also so that owners don't waste their time. We had a negotiation for a large multi-use property that was probably two years long. And at the very end, after two years of negotiating, two years of finally coming agreeing to terms, dozens of design implementations done to it, probably hundreds of hours put in by the provider's team and probably also the owner's team, it all got derailed in the ninth hour due to SLA terms, due to the expectations that the provider, us, I'm just going to be frank, had said originally that got changed at the end because they involved folks that had different expectations. And through that negotiation, whether we could meet those terms or not, it just seemed insurmountable to that owner at that time. And the deal got derailed. So it's really important for people to be very upfront with what the expectations are. What I've learned over the years is great and so much easier to work with folks that already know what they expect. And we're not talking about dollars and rates and all that, but really what the expectations are from service level commitments what the expectations are and agreed on what limitations of liability should read like that are going to be mutually acceptable to all and what those expectations are on privacy, data privacy, ownership of data, et cetera, that all those things be talked about up front versus weighing at the tail end of a multi-month or multi-year negotiation. Well, focusing on the issues of liability, Ian, what are some of the biggest concerns that you raise to your clients that they may not have been aware of? It ranges from so many issues. I mean, one of the biggest things I always ask people is when they bring me some kind of smart building tech is, does it fail dumb? And by that, I mean, does a lock that's an electronic lock in the absence of connectivity, does it still function as a door lock? Can I give someone a key 
or a touchpad or an RFID fob or something so that they can still gain access to their apartment or the community or whatever, right? So suddenly if everything fails dumb, the thermostat will still work. I just can't remotely control it. You know, my level of heart palpitation decreases significantly because I know that if the connectivity fails and the smart building software fails, I can still get into an apartment. Is that a term of art? Does it fail, Dom? Increasingly, it is. I will not claim ownership or authorship of that. I heard it before, but I have commandeered it because it is very important to me and it impacts the analysis. So that's one item. The other item is oftentimes these smart building vendors are telling owners what they should, you know, you should get a lock from X and a thermostat from Y and here's how it should be configured. And then they immediately turn around and say, we waive any and all warranties regarding the design of the system and everything else. And it's like, I've had clients who have literally installed recommended door locks that did not meet local code requirements for fire. So suddenly every single door lock that's non-compliant is just negligence per se. You've got that issue. I've got the risk management. Every provider on the provider side wants to put these caps on liability. Oh, I'm just a software as a service. And so I'll never be responsible for more than $20,000 worth of fees. Yeah, you're a software as a service, just like Microsoft Office 365, with the difference being you can lock and unlock doors to people's homes. You know, So $20,000 worth of liability doesn't work. So when you start going through the checklist of items, you can, again, start to have a bit of a panic attack. And I don't think it's fatal to these negotiations, but I think the providers and the owner have to be up front and say, look, there's a four foot by four foot table filled with liability. And we need to cover it all so that we know who is going to be responsible if something goes south. And to that end, that's why I say having risk management involved from day one so that we can talk about insurance and indemnity from the owner, insurance and indemnity from the provider. And collectively, we cover that 16 square feet so that if something does come to pass, we know who's going to be responsible for it. Most of the deals I see don't even come anywhere near covering And when something does happen, it's literally going to be up to a jury of 10th to 12th grade educated folks who don't understand telecommunications and technology to attribute liability amongst the parties. And I would rather address that up front than in front of a jury. Very smart. Well, Guillermo, when it comes to smart home technology, there can be a number of companies responsible for the various devices and features in any given unit. What complications and considerations does this raise for both residents and owners, as well as for providers? I won't answer that question directly, but just to get Ian's heart palpitating, I want to talk to the point that he made of where liability should reside. I'm not an attorney. This is where it's just going to be from the business speaking on my opinion of it. The only point where I would diverge in that thought of agreement is The service fees that a provider is receiving is X amount that are nowhere near representative on liability provisions that an owner may be requesting, whether it's, you know, 10 million or unlimited. That's where the risk from our business standpoint is, hey, there's some sort of mutual risk there if you're looking to for such a low SaaS fee, as Ian described. That would just be my comment on that because I don't disagree. People need to be very careful where the liability is. My point is just it needs to be looked at on what is the shared responsibility when requesting a you know $20 million cap on liability, an agreement that's only going to pay out ten dollars or $20,000 a year. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. Where I'm coming from is it's one thing if someone kicks in a door. It's one thing if someone hacks a door lock. It's something altogether different if you push new software 
and that implementation comes out of the sandbox and shows all the locks are locked, but they're not. And a hundred doors are opened all because of your software. And I get totally what Guillermo was saying. I remember probably three or four years ago when I was having a vigorous negotiation with a lock manufacturer and their outside counsel who was demanded by the VC that was funding them said, we didn't sign up for this level of risk. And it's like, dude, you're a lock manufacturer. What level of risk did you think you were signing up for? And so I think the point is merely that I won't propose that I'm right. But what I would propose is that it's something that folks need to discuss and need to be honest about, but too few folks on either side really are getting down to brass tacks about uh, addressing these things. I mean, I've talked to a large insurance underwriter recently who said, you know, let me get this right. You know, no one broke into the apartment. No one hacked it. No one kicked the door open. It was software, which the owner doesn't control. And you think I'm going to cover the $4.98 million worth of liability that was created by a third party. All you bought with your premiums is a lawsuit. And so that's what I'm trying to get ahead of is we need to have clear discussions about how we're going to cover that 16 square feet that I described before. I didn't say that Guillermo needed to cover 90% of it and I was covering 10, but we need to have the discussion to see how it's going to be covered because it will come to play at some point. Well, Ian, I know that you are very concerned with privacy issues that smart home technology is raising. What are some of the things that you think owners should consider when installing this type of tech? It goes back to your prior question that Guillermo went politician on about third-party integrators. And that is, in particular, I worry about these integrators. So like company X is the integrator and they tell me to get locks from, I don't care, Schlage and a thermostat from Nest and and that sort of thing. And they all have their own privacy policies, right? And they all have their own usage of data policies. So looking at what data folks have access to and looking at how people can use or misuse that data is important to me. And a great example in anticipation of this discussion was one of the largest groups out there in this field has a privacy policy that on page one says we collect the information that we need to provide the services and we will never sell your personal information. Later on, it says uh, we don't sell your personal information. However, information collected by us may be shared with third parties and there is no limitation. So they're not selling it, but they'll give it away for free. So, I mean, knowing that this is being constructed by attorneys who are creative, you've got to look at, you know, is it being sold? Well, no, we're giving it away for free. Okay. And now it's being given away for free and it with respect to the third party. So if Guillermo is providing the integration and a different lock company is providing the locks and the residents are required to click and accept that lock manufacturer's acceptable use policy, and it may say they can use the data differently than what a gr- a Guillermo's agreement does, how do I make Guillermo's agreement step on those toes to stop it? And it's funny because about a decade ago in student housing, we've always done bulk internet student housing. And I was shocked maybe a decade ago, students didn't care what you were doing with their data. It was just baffling. I'm like, don't you care at all? And now these students that I talked to, and I recently presented at a master's of real estate program, and I was telling them about some of these things and their jaws hit the floor. And I think we're soon destined for a group of renters that have wildly different expectations as to privacy than the prior generation. And I think it behooves not only owners from my client's perspective, but providers to be cognizant of that and make sure we're describing what it is, how it operates, what can and can't be shared. Can you opt out to forestall some of the issues that I see coming, which is going to be, you know, if you're not addressing these things, eventually they will be addressed by politicians who see this as an opportunity to win points with electorate. 
Well, Ian, I also think a decade ago, people weren't cognizant or aware of what the implications. I mean, people were just like, okay, whatever. You know, they just didn't realize today it's so prevalent. We're so aware of what can be done and what people know. And there's all these warnings. So as time, I mean, it's just innovation. But now people are very aware of it, right? They are. And that's where it becomes interesting with giant players. And I had very high hopes for some of what I believe we'll see from Cox in the not too distant future. But that raises another issue, right? So now do I need to address privacy in my smart building stuff, but does it carry over into my telecommunications contract? I know Cox has lots of regulations and they have different privacy policies for their internet services and I'm less worried about Cox than I am others. But some of the smart building folks are creeping over into the telecommunications side and their existing privacy policies literally talk about how they can use your data and sell it for marketing purposes and suddenly you're in this wildscape of, you know, can that company now sell my residents browsing data? Because I can promise you somebody's getting sued for the second that people's browsing habits make it into the wild. It's crazy. It really is when you think about it. Well, while all this new tech can be great, when you look at it on the surface, there are some intriguing real world implications just below that are challenging. And Ian, I was wondering if you could take a moment to perhaps talk a little bit about the false sense of security that these types of technology can create. Well, you touched on some of them for residents and the implications that this has for owners. To me, a lot of it comes back to what disclosures are you giving to residents so that they know what these systems look like. I've had a number of security camera, quote unquote, deals past my desk. And the first question I ask is, is this a full-time monitored security camera that's meant for personal protection or is this for property protection because you've had a number of break-ins? And how do we tell people, yeah, you see all these cameras in the parking garage or whatever, but those are really for data protection. Someone's not going to come out of some security room and come bludgeon who's ever approached you in the parking garage. And so it's really about informing people. The same thing goes with the smart building tech. I mean, having a lease addendum where residents acknowledge that you have the system and here's what providers are on it, and here's a link to their privacy policies or whatever, and you acknowledge you're using this system and we're not the service provider. I have found that if you just disclose to people and they can do their own research if they care to do so, you have won 80% of the battle. But that's where so much of this becomes problematic. I have a law degree and I practiced for 25 years doing telecommunications and technology contracts. And I look at these privacy policies and a lot of these data policies and my head explodes. I mean, like I I described the one earlier where we had these seemingly conflicting policies. And when you go on to the Apple app store, it tells you what data they capture and they've placed none, right? So on the one hand, the app that residents are going to be required to click and use to do this says they gather no data. The privacy policy on the website says they do gather data, but they don't sell it. But further down, it says they share it for free with third parties. Again, it's not to pick on providers. It's, you know, we got to have all of our ducks in a row because I don't care if Cox gives me extensive insurance and indemnity requirements. The fact is that my large client is going to be named in this lawsuit and Cox is going to be indemnifying me. So it behooves not just us, but the service providers and the third party integrations that are pulled into the system to make sure that we're all reading from the same in chapter and verse, because if we get called to the table, it's not going to be pleasant. I would say just the obvious, because since we're calling out providers, I think there's also owners that have responsibility, right? And the big watchouts. I know that some of Ian's favorite stories are probably around the owner that decided to put up his own ring cameras, ring doorbells right on their own. 
and they're saying they're not capturing data. Good luck with that. So owners need to be very careful on what they're doing with smart tech. In the old days, it used to be be very careful what you're doing around data. Don't go taking a modem and plug it in and distribute data out there because who's responsible for Kalia and who's responsible for legal enforcement, et cetera. Same thing with music rights. You're not going to take a radio, plug in the speakers and transmit it throughout your property. You've got to make sure you've got the right licensing for music, et cetera. Now that's translated into smart tech. What are you putting on your property? I knew of an owner that decided to put in Alexa devices and their units. And it's like, wow. Do you realize when they engaged us, it was like, do you realize what you're doing by putting in that Alexa? And all of a sudden they came out of the units and they were using a camera for their demonstration unit. Hey, that's fine that you're doing that, but have you talked to anybody that's going to represent you legally and advised you on, even though it's a demonstration unit and you're doing it because you're doing self-guided tours, and you want to make sure that the stuff is there when they leave, you may still need to inform someone that they're being recorded and have you really looked through all those things. So owners have to deal with reputable companies that do have some understanding of what the liabilities and the risks are for all parties. That is my recommendation to all is don't count on the provider to be looking at everything for you, but you do need to deal with someone that you can trust and someone that can at least guide you in the right directions of what questions you should be asking and make sure that everything's there for you. I don't disagree with anything he said. One of the problems is because so many owners are not versed in technology. There's not a lot of owners that have an inside technologist that knows whether or not these things are right. And so it behooves both parties to consider this. But what I keep running into is we provide her the expert in this area. And here's what you should do. Well, I mean, the reality is, is I, I believe, and this goes back to my compliance with laws discussion, is I believe there are nine or more states that have their own individualized privacy laws. There are 13 or more states that had specific technology slash smart building laws, right? And so you have this patchwork. And so the owner is just blindly relying on these service providers. This system is going to work. And so anyways, it all comes down to communications. And it's funny because Guillermo and I are higher on opposite sides of the table than I have been for 20 plus years, but it comes down to communications and determining what makes the most sense for both parties and, and disclosing it. But if someone tells me to pay for a contract and these are the locks we're putting in, I, as the attorney, am not going out and seeing in Nevada, what is the law about you know fire ratings on door locks? Who's going to be responsible for that? And if it's in the contract that it's the owner's responsibility, then put it in all bold and caps and highlight in red or something so that they know they need to be looking at looking for it. Yeah, don't hide it. It's not really fair. Like, Don't misrepresent. Don't hide it. So at least people can protect themselves. It's such a good point, Ian, really. Yeah. My mentor used to regale me with West Texas-isms, and he used to say that, no, you get angry about this stuff, but don't impute evil to incompetence. What you're getting mad about is that you think they're trying to skullduggery on our clients. And the reality is they just hadn't thought through these things. And we saw this when some of the early fiber to the prim stuff came out. And they're like, we're just going to punch through this wall. And it's like, that's a fire rated wall. And you're not just going to quote unquote punch through. So I think we as an industry need to be sharing thoughts on these things and, and how to address them. Very well said, Ian. Thank you. Guillermo, as a provider, how does Cox approach the unique security and privacy challenges that smart home technology has created? As Ian alluded earlier, we've been on the opposite side of the table, but we at Cox do agree on 
one huge term, which is none of us want to be old terminology on the front page of a newspaper or on some streaming website about some hack that happened or some smart technology that went haywire and a thousand doors are open and all of a sudden stuff is missing. So we take at Cox security very, very seriously, especially being an ISP provider. We provide services to schools, hospitals, government facilities, all those things. So we don't just proof our network for a residential apartment building. Our network is proof for all sorts of security and government things that we do as well. So our standards are very high on what we're doing from a security standpoint with data on the ISP side. We firmly believe that data privacy is very important and everything and all uses of data need to be disclosed to all parties that are engaged. We may or may not at times agree or disagree, but to Ian's point, if an owner is agreeing that a provider is going to share the data, who's it going to be shared with? Hey, Nilly willy, we're not going to sell it. We're going to share with everyone, but there may be a need, right? If there's an integration point, it needs to be spelled out. It's going to be shared at an integration point and it's not going to go beyond that. And that integrator is not going to use it for any skullduggery, as Ian pointed out. Got it. Well, I was wondering if you both could take a moment to share some scenarios that you have witnessed with regard to not taking the full scope of considerations into account. I can do an easy one. I'll let Ian do more complex storytelling. And I'm going to go just a little bit away from smart technology just to simplify it. An owner has a vision of what they want their community to do. And they may translate that to a project manager or a specific team to go do something. They provide that information to a provider and a provider is not hiding anything. I know that we all said, hey, why is it hiding a contract? And Contract gets executed. Everything is done per the plan that was provided to the provider. But because of lack of communication, what's missed is, hey, everything gets done for the residential, this mixed-use environment. Well, what about the wiring for the 2 million square feet of commercial office space? All of a sudden, an owner, because in the agreement of states, the provider will provide wiring all of a sudden, you've got a mess on your hands because the owner translated provider will provide wiring to mean provider will provide wiring for the residential, the commercial. And oh, by the way, you guys are installing it. That lack of communication of what that meant is really not at fault of the provider because they're going by what they're being told. But then when the building's about to open up, everybody's running around with their hair on fire going, well, wait a minute. Nobody did any of the wiring from an IDF room to each individual unit, how did that get missed? You got a provider going, well, we provide it, you know, 2 million feet of fiber. That's what was called into the contract. What wasn't clear was a statement of work. So statement of work need to be very clear, need to be very clarified on who's doing what, especially when there are multiple integration points. If you're using a provider A, for connectivity. Provider B for IoT solutions needs to be very clear, and it may not be in the agreement of the provider, but the owner needs to be very clear in their statement of work where the demarcation is for the provider so that in their agreement with the other provider, the, the IoT solution or any other integration point they may have, be it gates, be it EV power stations, 
that they're very clear of what's required on their part. And then you have someone overlook the entire project to see if there are any gaps. Everything he just described was a function of what? Communications. And one of the problems I see, and I go speak to salespeople sometimes, is you know, it's great that you closed your units and that you got your bonus, but you didn't do the totality of your job. You didn't educate people about what needs to be handled here. I love the notion of a scope of work or a responsibility grid that I can give to a construction person that says, here's who's providing and installing and maintaining each of the 16 components of the data system and the 13 components of the smart building system. And I'm going to use consistent terminology between the two, because in my example, if I'm working with an ISP X and I'm working with smart building provider Y, and I've put different terminology in them, I've created a train wreck. But to me, so much of this is communications and responsibility grid or a scope of work is important. And seemingly mundane things can blow up on you. I have a dog walker deal. You're like a dog walker. Why is he even talking about that? Because they use a smart building tech to get in. And why do I care? Because the dog walker's business didn't quite work out the way they thought it was going to. No one looked at the contract and they began selling people's data to dog food companies and all this other stuff. And the residents were royally hacked off that this data was being shared with other people. We got, you know, a package delivery company. Again, it sniffs of smart tech because of the access systems and whatnot. Well, it turns out when you look at the package delivery company, they're using gig economy employees. And by that, I mean, you know, hey, here's an app and any serial killer can log into the app and get a package and take it into my $150 million community that I just did with no background check, no criminal check, no nothing. So there are lots of places where a failure to communicate or a failure to follow standards and protocols can bite you in the backside. And I agree with what Ian said. Communication is very important. And what I always tell our sales team, you know, the example that I used to use, because we're not perfect, we've stubbed our toes. But that example that I used to use of, hey, you know, provider will provide wiring, is the communication needs to be there is, hey, you asked us to provide the wiring. Does that mean to you we're going to bring in some spools, drop them off? Or does that mean provider will install the wiring all the way to the unit because our pricing is going to be different? And that needs to be understood. Sometimes both the person negotiating on the owner's behalf and sometimes the salesperson, they're on a race to the bottom dollar in less expensive. And the discussion is not had around the nuances of what the bottom dollar really means versus a higher number. So it's really... I wouldn't say the adage of buyer beware is really sales rep beware and really understand, make sure that the person you're speaking with, that's the owner's representative, fully understands the solution that you're providing, fully understands that what you are providing up to what point it is, where the demarcation's at, and what that solution is doing so that the owner can identify any potential gaps in that or does it really meet their vision for what they want? I'm going to jump in just for one second, Bess, because he nailed one topic that is dear and dear to my heart right now. And that goes back to my first comment about having someone that has an understanding of both the telecommunications and the technology slash smart building side. And a number of deals get brought to me as standalone telecommunications agreements. And as soon as you ask the owner what they intend to do or what they have in place for smart building technology, you realize that the telecommunications solution isn't going to work. And by that, I mean, a great example is a lot of the smart building vendors that have hubs and units 
initially told the world, we don't need any connectivity because we have a cellular hub inside of them. Lo and behold, they don't work. Now, you know, in order for it to work, I need an always on network and consultant X or internal person Y has brought a bulk cable modem deal and the cable modem company shuts off the service every time a resident moves out and they don't have a system yet for it to turn back on. So suddenly I lose connectivity to that unit and I can't change the thermostat. I can't change the light. I can't easily do touchless touring and leasing and those sorts of things. So Guillermo brought up a point that I hadn't even put in my notes other than just to say, have someone that knows about both of them. Your telecommunications people can't look solely at telecommunications and you have to advise them about what your business plans are when it comes to smart tech and vice versa. Smart tech people can't just rely on the fact that always on connectivity is going to be there because they have a background in a commercial space. And I suspect that goes circles all the way back to where Guillermo started. And he was talking about a master plan community with SLA terms. And you have a commercial outsourcing person who's used to getting data circuits with 959 availability, right? 99.999% available. And that is at a single fiber drop-off point. And that same level of demand or expectation isn't necessarily reasonable to the 14,000 homes that are going to be built in this community. So having people that have experience in this very finite area is of paramount importance. Well, we're going to wrap things up, gentlemen, but I just wanted to give each of you a moment to leave the audience with a bit of parting advice. So uh, what would you say is the most important thing you want to leave the audience with a takeaway from this conversation that we've had today? And I'll start off with you, Guillermo. I would say, as we stated at the top of this, an owner actually taking the time and investing in knowledgeable representation to ensure that their vision is being met by providers is one of the most important things that they can do. From a provider side, I would say that actually helps us. Because of what I said before, there are lots of nuances between plain real estate law, and then when you get onto smart technology and telecommunications, there are nuances that can derail lots of things. So from our side, it actually helps us because we're dealing with folks that that's their job versus an architect that, you know, as an example, wants to put in one access point on a three-story apartment at the bottom floor in a bedroom in a corner. And that's just not going to work, but that's what the architect wanted to design for when actually they may need to be designing for two access points. So they really should have engaged someone versed in telecom or Wi-Fi to make sure that the heat map's going to work for what they're designing. And Ian? I will mirror Guillermo and what I said early on. And a trusted, experienced advisor, involve your risk management people early on smart building stuff. And in my dream scenario, we ultimately get to a point where clients have policies and procedures, right? If I have a telecommunications policy and I have a smart building policy and it sets forth how things will be done, violation of that policy is tantamount to violating any other policy of your company, including HR policies and others. It's interesting, the level of compliance goes up markedly. People stop value engineering things out. They stop making guesses in the field. So my dream scenario is we get to the point that a learned person internally or externally works up a set of policies. And, you know, I joke about every deal looks like in and out There's franchisees, but they're not going to be, you know, market changes between them. And, and then you eliminate some of the guessing points from the development or retrofit perspective. And then you also have policies that apply to the leasing and operations where the lease needs to include these disclaimers or, you know, addendums or whatever. 
then this becomes far less scary, both from an operational and a liability perspective. And more importantly, in terms of keeping heads in beds and maximizing rents, which also helps Guillermo maximize his profitability by having clients who have been informed and aren't just making this stuff as they go along and calling Guillermo's you know, trouble center 24 seven. Well, I think you guys have really shared a lot of useful information. I just want to say thank you to each of you and thank you for taking the time and giving us all this, this good intel. So have a good rest of the day. See you guys soon. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks again to Ian and Guillermo for being on the show today and discussing the operating and legal issues associated with smart building technology and multifamily housing. You can learn more about the amazing work that Davis Craig is doing on their website, mdulaw.com. And if you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and leave a review. Thanks again for listening. I'm Bess Friedman. This has been Open Door, brought to you by Cox Communities.